Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 2. I want to talk this morning about the, the greatest love story. Now, as Christians and being in church, usually sometimes our, our sermons or our services will gravitate around some days, but today, and I don't always preach on a, um, I know Valentine's man-made holiday, I get that, but love is not man-made. And so we're going to talk about that this morning. And in, in Ephesians chapter, chapter 5, we're going to go there in just a second. Before we get started, I want to ask you this. Well, tell you this first. The Bible says that we love him, talking about God, why? Because he first loved us, right? We didn't love him first. He loved us first, before, before we even were physically in existence. And... Because of that, we know the story. He came and he died and he gave himself for us on the cross. We understand that too. Um, but I want you to think about the, the things, the, the first time you realize the things that you loved. And I'm not talking about, and some things we might equate with love, but it's really a, a preference, right? We prefer. Like I could sit here all day and tell you Popeye's is the best fried chicken on the bone that there is. I love Popeyes, but um, it's, it's not love, like biblical love, right? It's just a preference. So there's a lot of things in life that we have a preference for. And sometimes, and we understand this too, that our love and humanity is, is ever-developing, right? We, you, if you think back, and you think back, those of you that have a significant other, um, some of you don't, and that's okay. Um, but if you think back, you, you think about the first time you felt like, yeah, this is the one. Now, you might have called that love, but I think it was your mom and dad where your dad told your mom that he loved her, and she was like, you don't, you're too, you don't even know what love is. You're too young to know what love is. That's Kathy's mom and dad. He told her he loved her, and she said, you don't even know. And... And the truth is, none of us do, right? When we, when we first started, I already told Kathy, I, I've told her over and over again, I knew I wanted to marry her before our first date. Would I say I was in love with her before our first date? Well, I was currently dating somebody else at the time, so I don't know that that would be an appropriate thing to say. But I knew I wanted to marry her. I knew, that, okay, you know what? This is who I want to be with. And now, I don't, I don't know how you would identify that at that time, whether it was love or not, but... But it develops, right? And I think anybody that's married, been married for any length of time knows that love also involves what? Work, right? Like, come on, Terry. Now's not the day to say a lot of work, all right? It's, you need to make it, today's the day where it needs to seem easy, right? Not, not a lot of work. Okay, so hopefully you're talking about die having to work really hard to love you. Okay, good. Helping you out there. So... Um, but when we understand that, and we understand that in the Bible, there are three different types of love specifically mentioned. There's a physical love, there is a brotherly love, or a familial family love, and then there's an overarching love, which means agape love, which is greater than we could possibly even fathom or understand. That's the love God has for you. Um, the Bible says, in fact, Jesus said... Uh, I didn't come into the world to condemn the world. The Bible says, but, but that the world through him might be saved. Now, condemnation of our sin is necessary for us to understand what the law is and how we now need a Savior. But at the same time, the reason Christ came was to save us from our sins. Why did that happen? Because of his love. 
So before we go to Ephesians, I'm going to read a couple of things. In 1 John chapter 4, the Bible says in verse 7 through 11, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God, and knoweth God. Now let me pause here and say this. This is not saying that if you love somebody, then you're a Christian. It's not what it's saying. What it's saying is, if you aren't a believer in Jesus Christ, it's impossible for you to truly love somebody. That's what it's saying. And I'll repeat that. It doesn't say that loving someone makes you a Christian. It's saying that without being a believer in Jesus Christ and a follower of him, you cannot love someone the way you ought to. That's what the Bible's saying there. He that loveth not, knoweth not God. For God is love. In this was manifested the love of God toward us. Because that God sent his only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through him. What did the Bible say we were when he found us? We were dead in our trespasses and sins. We had no hope. But through him... He loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation, the payment for the penalty of our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, if he loved us that much, we ought also to love one another. So let me repeat that last part. Here's love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us who, Paul says, would be considered unlovable. You know, it's really easy for us to love somebody that treats us well, isn't it? It's really, and we may not even use the word love, we may just say use the word prefer, or we may use the word like, but it's really easy to be super nice to somebody that's just super nice to you. That's just in simple terms to put it, right? And that's because that's the way we are. We reciprocate. Just like we do when we're upset. <laughs> it's really easy to be upset at somebody that's upset at you. It's, upset, it's easy to treat someone kind that's treated you kind. It's easy to fill in the blank. And when and I can't tell you how many times we've talked to couples over the years and things, and, and you always have a two, three, four, five sides to every story, right? But the first person that comes to you that talks to you, man, you're going to get there, and they're going to try to set the narrative for the entire encounter or story. And I always tell people, you know, I've got to talk to everybody involved in this first because there's always multiple angles here. And what happens is we try to set everything out there at first and we declare how we feel about things, but the reality is we are incapable of truly expressing love to someone if we don't know Christ as our Savior. That's the bottom line. That's Bible, actually. Because our love only comes from, the, his, from what he's given us in love. The Bible says, beloved, if God so loved us, we, all, we ought also to love one another. So there's five things just out of that verse, and this is not the sermon. I'm just going to hit them real quick. First, we ought to love each other, right? And, and I, that's the agape love, which is impossible without being a believer. Second, love comes from God. Because he has given us that example We now have the ability to see that example and as a believer channel that example and then love others even just like we were unlovable, maybe even others that are unlovable. Because without that help, we just we can't we can't do it. 
Love is from God. He makes us capable. The third thing in this, everybody that truly loves is born of God or is a Christian. The fourth thing, we can't truly love unless we know Him. So not only accepting Him, not only believing in Him, but also walking in fellowship with Him. What does the Bible say? What what does it command us to do? To become more like Christ. As a Christian, every day ought to be another step and becoming like Christ. You may say, you know what? It's impossible for me and my humanity to live a sinless life. And I, I, and I get that. I understand that. But it ought to be our heart's desire and it ought to be our goal every day to be more like Christ. Which, how do we do that? By being in His Word. The greatest love, love letter ever written to us is right here. And, and, and we're going to hit a couple of things about that in just a minute. But can you imagine if, and in our days in college, this was before texting and, and internet and emails and everything else, and, and so they had a thing on campus at the Christian campus, and I've said a little bit about this before, but when, when Christian campuses, you know, you have your curfews and you're not allowed to whatever, and so we had these, they had these mailboxes that if you wanted to write your significant other a note and they would take it over the girls' dorm and the girls would send it over the guys' dorm. Some guys, bless their heart, they never ever got a note, you know? It's like, they didn't even bother to check it because they're not going to get anything. And, but I'd get these notes from Kathy and I'd write her. What if she wrote me, and, and I'm the writer in our family, she'll tell you that. I was very faithful in writing her, right? When she wrote me, I'm like, yes, I got it. Wow, I got, a, I got a note from Kathy. This is great. What if, I get, what if I got it and I was like, oh, that's nice, and I threw it on the counter? Remember the days, guys, when, when your lady would write you a letter and she'd spray some perfume on it? If you never experienced that, man, shame. That's a, that's a sad thing because that's a great thing, you know? And so, man, you get that letter, and what if you just set it aside? You don't read it. What if you get married, and you know what? You're like, hey, I love you, or like the one guy said one time, and his wife says, you never told me that you love me. I had told you that we got married. Why do you need me to say it again? Don't doubt what I say, you know? What, what, if, what if you get married, and you're living your life, and you stop communicating? Hey, you know, we expressed our vows. I love you. We're married. Now let's just live our life in silence. That's not going to last, Right? The, the fellowship's not going to last. The, communi- the, 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 the growing together is not going to last. Kathy, I think it's, what did you say this morning, 29 Valentines for us? Wow. Our first date was her 19th birthday. And so 29 Valentines, she said to put up with me. And I got to tell you, if in that time frame, if we stopped communicating, if we stopped listening... If we, does it mean we always agree? Absolutely not, because she's stubborn, right? But I'm not at all. But I will tell you this, I don't lie either, but I'll tell you this, for us, those days, those days happen, right? The disagreements happen. Trials happen. Storms happen. It's like anything else in life. But just like we teach our kids to get up and keep going on, what are you going to do? You're going to quit? You're going to stop going back to the source of your strength. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes that a cord with two strands is strong, but three, not many things can break that. And so the common theme that strengthens a marriage is, is what gives us the ability to truly love, and it is two people that God has brought together, and then you add into that the Holy Spirit of God as being the one that ties the entire marriage and home together. 
But the love that we read about, it's not just, he doesn't say, hey, love your spouse. He says, love one another. And we, a lot of times, live our life opposite of Romans 13. Romans 13 tells us that we should not let our love dissimulate. What does dissimulate mean? Dissimulate means that our love shouldn't have a, that's a border. It means it shouldn't be anything that waters it down. There shouldn't be anything that stops it. The greatest love is the love when you love somebody in spite of what they've done to you. When you, in fact, when you love somebody and you don't even take into consideration the negative things that they've done to you. It doesn't even matter. It's not like, it's like you're oblivious to it. It doesn't matter because you still love them so much. The best way to describe that is the grandparent whose grandkids and kids will come into the house and live with them for times and even sometimes maybe take advantage of them. But yet, what do those grandparents do? They just keep, they let them and they love them and they love them and they love them. That's a true love. That's a love where you're loving, you're not even, you love them in spite of that. It's the prodigal son when he returns home to his father. And, you know, you got to be thinking about the prodigal son when he left and he spent all that he had and he, he was partying it up and the dad was going down and checking. I could see him checking for his son every day, wondering when he's going to come home again. And then that one day, the whole time this son feels unworthy, the whole time that this son is out here as a picture, by the way, of us in a lost state, this whole time that this son is out and then he lifts up his face in a pig pen and he's thinking in his mind, you know what? my dad's servants, my dad's employees are living better than I'm living. I'm going to go home, and I'm just going to be one of his servants. I know I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy to be a son. I just want to be a servant. And so he goes home, and as he's walking down that road, the dad sees him, the Bible says, afar off. You know what that tells me? It tells me he was looking for him. He wasn't sitting there at his house mad at his boy. I can't believe he took. I can't believe he left. Everything I've done for him. Everything I've supplied for him. Everything my whole life setting up for my sons and their future. And he just walks away. It wasn't that at all. He was looking for him. And he sees him coming. And the Bible says that he ran. And he brought him into his arms. And I could just see that son just melted in his dad's arms. And weeping. He's like, Dad, I just want to be a servant. He's like, man. Well, how was the dad's response? My son is here. He was lost. He's found. Let's have a party. Let's celebrate. There was no, there was no punishment at that moment. There was no, ah, oh, just coming down on that boy. Why? Because it was all about the boy's heart condition. What was the heart condition to be restored? His heart condition was repentance. Let me tell you, how we respond and as any of you that are parents, you understand this. The attitude that our children have in the midst of discipline goes a long way in determining how we treat them at that moment. When I come to the Lord, and by the way, He loved us knowing, He loved the people of Israel knowing they were going to turn on Him. He loved Peter knowing, He called Peter to serve him and to help build the church knowing he was going to deny him three times. He called the disciples knowing that John was going to be the only one there at the foot of the cross the day he died. The day of his worst moment in the physical life of Christ on this planet, he knew he was going to be abandoned by these men and women except for John 
and his mom and maybe a couple of others, but he called them anyway. Why? Because he loved them. And he knew their heart. The first mention of love in the Bible is in Genesis 22.2. And it says, he, he said, now look, we already had, man, we've got marriages that have already taken place. We've got Adam and Eve, right? But, and it doesn't mean that there was no love involved. This is just the first mention of love. He said, take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest. That was that agape love. I love my affection is on him. I love him. Why? He's the son of promise, right? God had promised him a son, and through that son, you're going to be, your family is going to become a mighty generation, and he was given this son. And it says, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I will tell thee of. So the first love is a love of a father for a son, and he's the son of promise. And the one who made the promise was asking the father to sacrifice the promise. Wow. But you know what the Bible says in Hebrews 11? By faith Abraham, when he was tried, he offered up Isaac. Man, they're climbing up that hill. Can you imagine the heart, heartache of Abraham? When Isaac looks at him, hey dad... Where's the sacrifice? I'm sure Abraham didn't tell him at the foot of the mountain. I can't imagine what was going through the mind of Abraham. As a dad, I, I can't even fathom it. And Abraham, through faith, it wasn't that he was expecting by faith for God to provide a substitute at that moment. The Bible says this, When Abraham was tried, he offered up Isaac, and he that had received the promises, Abraham, offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said that in Isaac shall thy seed be called, accounting that God was able to raise him up even from the dead. Abraham wasn't climbing that hill expecting God to substitute somebody else. Abraham was climbing up that hill thinking he was going to have to go through with it, but he knew God would raise him back up because that was the promise. What is that showing us? Faith in God. But his love for his son, what was God teaching Abraham? The Bible says, accounting that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from whence also he received him in a figure. Isaac was a picture of Christ, and Abraham was a picture of the Father. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. You and I, today in 2021, are as guilty of taking that hammer and driving the nails in the hands and feet of Christ as those Roman soldiers were. And here we are, because our sin is why he came to die. But he did it because he loved you. He loved you so much, if you had been the only person alive, he would have come and he would have died for you. Because of his love for you. John 17, 24, Jesus prayed this in the garden before the crucifixion. Father, I will that they also, whom thou hast given me, be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory, which thou hast given me. For thou lovest me, 
before the foundation of the world. He loved you so much, he loved you before you were ever in existence. He knew your name. He knew who you would be. He knew there would be a day, because the Bible says in Romans chapter 8, for who God did foreknow, he did also predestine to be conformed to the image of his Son. He knew before you were born that there was going to be a day, if you're saved today, he knew there would be a day when you would accept him and choose him as your Savior. And because of that, the Bible tells us in Romans 8, because he knew that, it's been predestined that you would become like him one day. All this time, we live in this world, and we've seen a lot of loss and heartache over the last few years, and, and no greater, by the way, than other times in church history that churches have seen that. And in the middle of all that, in the middle of all that, God's eye is on you, just like, just like a dad that loves his kids or a mom that loves their kids is watching their kids on Life 360 or Find My Friends. Except we're watching to make sure you're not getting in trouble, right? Or also to make sure you're okay driving down the road, right? But just like that, just like that, the Heavenly Father knows where you're at. In the middle of all the uncertainty, in the middle of the heartache, in the middle of the loss, in the middle of everything that's been going on, God knows exactly where you're at. Just like he knew where the New Testament first century Christians were at when they were in the Colosseum. He had not abandoned them. In fact, his love was, had never been more present than it was in the time of trial. And yet, how often do we live our life and we have a heavenly Father that loves us way more than any human father could possibly ever begin to love us? And man, you could think about that. I want you to think about something. My dad told me one time, his dad did not express love a lot in the home. But dad did tell me this. He said, every football game I ever played, my dad was at. In fact, in his quiet way, who never expressed love a lot in the home, my grandfather, my granddad got so worked up at one football game, he had a heart attack at the stands. And they had to take him. And he wasn't even an outspoken guy. And dad said he was at everything my dad was at. Why? Because he loved his boy, but just in his own way. Right? And, and when I was growing up, my dad recorded. I think every game I've got from high school, dad recorded on VHS, you know, those old things, those archaic pieces of dinosaur. VH, what? What is that? I've never heard of that. And so, you, what happens when we truly love? We're present. We're there. It may not be words. By the way, you could say a lot of things. Actions show what's really inside, right? And the greatest action. God, isn't it awesome that God didn't just give us a book that tells us how much he loves us? Isn't it awesome that he came to this earth and became a human? And he walked among us, our ancestors, and that he died for us, and he took action on our behalf when we were undeserving, when we didn't even care, when we are sitting here in our humanity and we're drawing lines in the sand and we're saying, I love you until this happens, and when that happens, no, I'm done, I'm out, I'm out. Man, that's not love. That means you loved as long as it benefited you. True love is when we love beyond ourself. True love is when Jesus says, not my will, but thine be done, so he could offer himself for us. Ephesians 5.2 says, walk in love, and we're going to Ephesians now, as Christ also has loved us, 
and hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. He has given himself for us as an offering to God as a sweet-smelling savor. And I think the beautiful thing about that that we need to see in our world and in our life today, in that chapter, and I love Ephesians 5, when he says in verse 1, Be followers of God as dear children and walk in love as Christ also have loved us and hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice for God for a sweet-smelling savor. And then if you fast forward to that, he talks about how we ought to walk as Christians. He talks about how we ought to live. He talks about how we should treat others. But then if you get to verse 25, He says this, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. You know, he never tells the wife to love her husband. I think if the husband is who he ought to be, most of the time, sin can get involved, most of the time the the love of the wife is going to follow. As he looked at the husband, he says this, Love your wives. Everything that we just talked about, Christ, and how much he loved us, and how much he gave himself for us. The Bible says, even as Christ loved the church and gave himself, sacrificed himself, died on behalf of, love your wife that way. You might say, oh yeah, preacher, I'd be willing to die for my wife. For men, physically dying for our wives is going to be way easier than living for her. Physically dying is easier than dying to our carnal, fleshly pride. That is what it's talking about. You want to give yourself for your wife? Men, let me tell you something. The day you were born a guy, we were put around us a mantle of leadership for our home spiritually that is not an option It's required by God. And if we choose not to fulfill that role, then that is simply us refusing to do what we have been mandated to do as the man in our home. We are to love and to lead our home spiritually like Christ leads us and loves us. And it is not debatable. It is not negotiable. This is coming from God. He gave us the illustration and the reason, and the reason homes are being attacked, and the reason the nuclear family is is sought to be destroyed by Satan, the reason for that is because our homes, the Bible says in verse 20, um, a little, little, in verse 32, this is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ to the church. The reason the nuclear family is, is being sought to be destroyed today is because our home and our family reflect the picture of Christ in the church. We are a walking mirror. We are supposed to be a walking mirror of Christ and His relationship with the church. And it is to be an overarching love. So if I went through here and I asked men and I said, hey, what if your wife did this to you? What if your wife said this to you? What if your did this, this, and I filled in the blank. Oh, we all have an opinion about different factors of that. Let me tell you something. You and I, we as Christians represent the bride of Jesus Christ. The church, 
the New Testament, not the building, the body of Christ, which is us. If you're saved today, we represent the bride of Jesus Christ. We are the church. And how often have we put something in front of our Lord? There's, it goes, in, it's in connection and it's in context if you compare it with each other. When you read even the Ten Commandments, when it says this, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength. What does he say? Thou shalt have no other gods before me, right? How often do we as Christians place our affections on other things than Christ? What did Jesus say? Don't lay up treasure for yourself here where moth and dust doth grow, but lay up treasure for yourself in heaven. Don't set your affections on things of this earth. Set your affections on things above. And yet, how often do we turn our back on Christ? Does his love stop? No. Does he wash his hands of us? Thank the Lord, no. Man. Does he change his position towards us? No. Through his love, he has redeemed us to himself. And while we may live in our sinful flesh here, there is coming a day when we are going to be made sinless. We will be conformed completely to the image of Jesus Christ. And when I arrive on heaven's shore, I won't carry the baggage and the weight of this sinful world with me. My pride will be shed away. My sin will be shed away. Why? Because when I enter into heaven, I'm not standing there accounting for the sins that I accumulated on this planet. I will stand there redeemed, forgiven, spotless Lamb of God. He will present us to Himself holy and without blemish before the Savior. That's what I love. You look at the picture of a wedding. I remember in the old days when, when, a, when a bride would come down an aisle and she'd get married, and there's a reason that, that ladies wear white when they get married, right? But man, in the old days, there were some ladies that would sit in the congregation, and if they knew that girl coming in that back door had a reputation in town, they'd be like, well, shouldn't be wearing white. Shouldn't be wearing white. Maybe wear some olive color or something, but shouldn't wear white. Can I tell you something? If that's true there, when he represents Christ and she represents the church, and because he chose to marry her, you wear that white girl. Come down that aisle and make this right, right here with him. Because let me tell you something, you and I, we don't deserve our Savior. We never show up in a sinless state and say, you know what, God, I finally cleansed myself good enough for you. I'm now ready for you. Now I can enter into my relationship with you. I can't do that. I can't be good enough to earn the love of Christ. And so He loved me in spite of who I am. He found me where I was. As one preacher said, God's not looking for clean vessels. He's looking for vessels that are willing to be cleaned. And as a child of God, as a member of the body of Jesus Christ, I am now His bride. And the Bible says... As a husband, I am to love my wife like Christ loves me. Wow. Man, I'm not even hitting the topic of the lady in here, and I don't even have to, because ladies will look at it and be like, man, that's a lot of requirements for me in that passage. I don't even have to look at that. There's no greater, heavier requirement, men, than for us to love our wives like Jesus loves us. 
And that's the mystery of the gospel. It's been a picture that's been put in since the Garden of Eden, and it's been a picture that is now living itself out in our homes and our families. And the reason that the world gets in the condition it's in is because our homes get in a worse condition. People talk about revival and how you want to see things get restored, and I've got to tell you something right now. This world will never be restored where it needs to be until we get restored where we need to be. It has to start in the walls of our own home. He said, so if you look this in verse 26, that he might sanctify, he loved us, he gave himself for it, the church for us, that, in verse 26, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself, a glorious church, not having spot, or wrinkle, or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. That's not in a bad way. That's talking about that is a genuine, authentic, confident love. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourish and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, of his bones. And for this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. Let me tell you, a man leaving his father and mother, that concept... In my life, my goal is for my sons to raise them up to where they can go and start their own home and family and they leave that away from the moorings of me where they can structurally be this dynamic to their own home. And the goal for my daughters is that they find a man that loves the Lord with all their heart and that he is first and they understand this concept and then he becomes this man. There's no greater failure than a man that does not lead his home spiritually. Let's put it this way. No greater failure than a Christian man that doesn't lead his home spiritually. Because as, as we say, we know better. But we've abdicated that responsibility. And then he goes on and says this. This is a great mystery. But I speak concerning Christ in the church. And then the final part, nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife even as himself. Let me tell you, That right there, that reverence, that love, that working alongside, that fellowship. When we look in Scripture, when we we look at our friends, and you see those couples that have been married 50 and 60 years, I could go through this room today and for the next few hours we could talk about testimonies of how it wasn't always easy. Sometimes the, the man had to love his wife like Christ loved the church, and just like we treat Christ, sometimes our wives may not have treated us the way the church ought to treat Christ. But the, even bigger than that is when the husband sometimes in that, in that journey has abdicated his role and position as Christ, as being an example of Christ, of loving Man, how sad is that when they haven't done anything and then the husband's over here not living like Christ at all? 
as an example. And yet, how beautiful, when you come out on the other end of that, after however many years, and yeah, you've got a story, yeah, you've got a whole book, your life is a book, and there are chapters in it, man, sometimes it's a tell-all book, right? And there are chapters in that book, and you're thinking, I wish I could take that back. I wish, I wish that had never happened. And you know what? It would have been better for some sins and some of the things that we've done, and it would be great if we could live a sinless life, and it would be great if that had not happened that way. But And I'm, I would never in a million years say that that happened for a reason, because it's sin. If, and if there are anything in our life that's a sin in that story, then that's a, that's a negative thing. I get it. But the beautiful part about that is that's not the final chapter. And we live that life, and we, we, we have that relationship, and we develop that through fellowship. And let me tell you, just like that happens in, in, the, in, the hus- in a husband and wife relationship and in a marriage, that ought to be what's happening in our relationship with Christ. We ought to be growing. You ought to be stronger now today than you were a year ago. You ought to be stronger a year ago than you were the year before that. You ought to be stronger that than you were three years ago. And it should grow and grow and grow and grow. Are there negatives sometimes? Yeah. But that's, that's on us, right? But our, our desire ought to be to become more like Christ and love Him. And that way, when we do that, we can love each other the way we ought to.